Hey, Marshall, how you doing? <laughs> Welcome to episode 418 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lovin. And I'm Marshall Bach, also host, co-host. You do this every once in a while where you take full host credentials at the beginning and I'm mm-hmm. left here like chopped liver. Mm-hmm. But hi, I'm Marshall. Uh-huh. Welcome back for another episode. How you doing, Brian? Doing great. Thanks for asking, Marshall. <laughs> we got a packed outline today. I think we should just jump in. Before we do, huge shout out to Simply. Simply makes design handoff and design version control secure with a self-hosted set of tools and options available to help you upgrade your collaboration workflow. You can learn more at simply.io. That's S-Y-M-P-L-I dot I-O. Thank you, Simply. Thanks, Simply. Huge shout out to Play. Play just raised their seed round. Did you see that tweet today, Marshall? Ooh, yeah, it Got did. some money. Congrats, Play. If you didn't know, Play is the uh, it's the first native iOS design tool, and it's made for teams creating mobile products. You design phone apps on your phone. You can design, prototype, collaborate directly on your phone, and you can experience your design as you create it while taking full advantage of the native iOS features that no other prototyping tool can offer because you're using the dang thing. You can get access by going to createwithplay.com, download the app on the App Store, and we're going to have an invite link in the show notes, click on that thing, and there should be some invites for you. Yeah, nice. But be quick. Limited number. Thank you, Play. Thanks, Play. And of course, a huge shout out to Plume. Plume is empowering a billion smart devices at home and small businesses with a suite of adaptive Wi-Fi, AI security, and parental control tools. And they are hiring product designers. Now's the time to get a new job. Get one at Plume. They're looking for designers with two to five years of experience, and you can learn more at designdetails.fm slash plume. Thanks, Plume. All right. We also have some new very important pixels today. New VIPs. Hey. Welcome to the fam. Yeah, welcome. Shoutouts to Jayanta Benick, Wayne Dahlberg, Kintu Bandari, Lisa Gorn Rivkin, and Binhao Yang. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Come on in. The water's warm. Be sure to check out your first sidebar in the Patreon feed. So thank you all for for supporting the show. Yeah, thanks, everybody. If you didn't know, we are a listener-supported podcast, which means that every week, people from around the world, designers, developers, product managers, technologists alike, gather at patreon.com slash design details, and they support us for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. And everyone who does gets access to a bonus episode every week. We call it the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Sidebar is supporter-only content. We dive into another topic every single week. This week, we're talking all about our favorite must-have tools, apps, utilities, things that help us stay productive on our computers. If you want to hear that list and, of course, the past sidebars and double episodes every week going forward, head to patreon.com slash design details. Just a buck a month. It's just a buck a month. All right. Marshall, follow-up time. Yeah. Oh, what a week. What, what a week it's a been. A week it has been, Brian. What has been so special about your week? What has been so special about? Well, Marshall, we are recording this podcast from some brand new MacBook Pros. I figured we'd do a little bit of follow-up, just a tiny bit of follow-up, some first impressions, one-week review. How are you liking it? I love it. 
It's great. I mean, I think the contrast from my previous MacBook to this one is probably greater than what you're dealing with. But I feel like because I was coming from the last model that had MagSafe, that had an HDMI port, that had F keys, you know, that had all these things uh-huh, uh-huh. that, you know, physical uh, escape key, all these things yeah, that yeah. we liked before. I feel like I just got a straight upgrade and I skipped all the bad years of Apple going yeah, in the wrong man. direction. <laughs> yes, I feel like it, it was a very smooth transition from my previous computer to this one. It's just everything got better, but I didn't lose anything. See, I feel like I've been on an odyssey right? <laughs> from the year in 2015. I embarked on the new MacBooks, or I guess 2016. And, you know, waded into the world of touch bars and USB-C and tapered edges and this week it's like coming home you know yeah there's something comfortable and familiar about just having all the old stuff back except it's faster it's cleaner yeah yeah so much like the screen Um, is so noticeably better it's insane mm -hmm. yeah one thing i I messaged you at the start was are you a file transfer kind of guy or are you a start from scratch kind of guy normally i'm a file transfer kind of guy but for this Mm -hmm. one i was like you know what I'm going to start from scratch. And I'm glad I did because it made me think about what are the things I need to install? Like, what are the things I need to bring over? Because I had Uh seven, eight years of detritus piled up in my applications folder. A lot of that stuff I didn't use anymore, just taking up space. So I was like, let's start fresh. And I'm happy Mm -hmm. I did because it feels like, like you said, it feels familiar, but nice and clean. Everything's brand new. Love it. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that has been interesting is, you know, this is also simultaneously an upgrade to Monterey. At least Monterey came oh, pre-installed yeah. on mine. Yeah, I couldn't get Monterey on my last computer. I was below the line. Yeah. So, yeah, not mm-hmm. only did I get uh, a computer upgrade, but I got an OS upgrade, too. Yeah. The thing is, I don't know what to say about Monterey. I, I knew it was new because I had the new wallpaper. Yep. But I had to go on the Apple website and look up the Monterey marketing page and be like, what the fuck's different? Uh Uh, It's very minor, right? It's a lot of sharing social stuff, uh, like new FaceTime, share play. Shared with you. Shared links. Yeah. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Is there anything else that stands out to you? Oh, I I guess the one thing that I want to call is, oh, thank God, in the new whatever update, 15.1, they fixed the Safari tabs, man. They fixed them. Safari's back to normal. The tabs are the way they should be. They look correct. They're easy to scan, easy to see. Man, I I feel like that's just a whole other swamp that I have returned from. And so it's really nice to be back on like a comfortable browser interface. Is there an option in the same way that on iOS, there's an option to choose the, the new design if you want it? Yeah. So you can go to your Safari preferences, go to tabs, and then just choose the compact tab layout compact. style. Compact. There it is. Yep. Yep. yep but yep. If you choose that, you have bad taste. You should go separate. Yeah, it's kind of worse, isn't it? <sighs> Get some pixels yeah, back. I, I'm, I'm going to have strong opinions on this. I just feel like it's worse. It's just objectively less usable. You know, I was using the old version because that's, that's the default now. And I didn't even mm-hmm. notice that it was the old version until you just now mentioned it. And when I went and clicked mm-hmm. on the compact thing, I'm like, oh, yeah, this isn't as good. Because I had a few tabs <laughs> open. It. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, yeah, I was team update, but... Yeah, on desktop for sure. I'll still keep the update mm-hmm. on iOS, though. I like it. Yeah, I already reverted iOS. I'm back to the top. To each their own, Brian. To each their own. This is why we have settings. All right. Well, cool. Good follow-up. Should we main topic time? Let's main this topic, Brian. This is a listener question. 
Yeah, coming to us from Celti on GitHub. Yeah, our, our recently bankrupted issues section oh, of our yeah. GitHub. Yeah, it's so nice. There's one open issue this week, and we're and so that it. is the one, <laughs> the one which we shall discuss. <laughs> okay, Celti says, "I was a huge fan of Iron Man, Jarvis style future UIs, but after studying UI and UX at university." I can't help but notice how useless and not user-friendly some of the FUIs look. FUI being future user interface. Oh, I thought it meant fictional user interface. But Oh, wait, uh, either. Okay, fictional user interface, you're right. It's basically ruined me for any Marvel movies. However, I have been told that FUI should be seen as inspiration to what our future user interfaces or no interface will look and feel like. I'm curious to know what FUI you thought was really cool that you could see being used in a real-world application in the future? Okay. This was such a fun question because Mm -hmm. we basically just spent a long time before this call Google image searching and looking up future UIs and being like, ooh, ah, pretty (laughs) white. But we had this moment halfway through where we had to ask ourselves, why do these future UIs look so cool? Yeah, Because, to Celti's point, None of them are usable. They're all garbage. <laughs> yeah. None of this would ever be built. This is not a thing. It's all noise and nonsense. But why does it look so fucking cool? Yeah, somehow culturally, we've aligned on an aesthetic that feels like the future. And it feels cool, despite being bad. So <laughs> we tried to answer. We, we took a little bit of tangent on your question, Salty, which is, why do these look cool in the first place? And then after we get through that, maybe we can uh, answer if there's actually a real-world application for any of these. I I have one answer in mind. Yeah, and we can also talk about our our favorite ones. All right, so I don't know. We just list out some observations. Like, It's so hard to articulate exactly why this is cool, especially because cool is subjective. But, you know, I think just starting from an aesthetic point of view, there's a bunch of patterns that you notice right off the bat when you start looking around at galleries and screenshots of movies and and video games and stuff and right away there's things just lots of grids and charts (laughs) grids numbers moving around right yeah numbers labels yeah and what's interesting is they a lot of these interfaces will mix and match shapes like i don't know our web interfaces today are kind of just a bunch of squares but in these future uis you have circles or ovals or radial menus or Lots of curves, like curved lines, sort of stuff radiating outwards from a center focal point, right? Yeah. And I suppose there's like a pragmatic purpose to that. Because usually in these FUIs, mm-hmm. I would imagine if I was designing this, the prompt would be, you know, help users or viewers or players focus on one element and everything else should sort of blur away into the background. So I think that's why you end up with like a central element and then everything else radiates out from that central element. My my guess is in the script, it says character taps this thing on the screen or this message comes up on screen. And that's the direction to the designer of like, okay, this needs to be the most important thing that you see because this is the story beat <laughs> uh-huh. that needs to happen. We don't give a fuck about the UI. Like just make this uh-huh. visible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it is in service of something usually. Uh, another thing that keeps coming up the more and more we looked at these is there's just a ton of unnecessary ornamentation, like thin lines that delineate nothing 
or like double strokes or triple strokes or rotating strokes on things that serve no apparent function, right? Dot grids for the sake of filling space. <laughs> yeah, everything like an underline is not an underline. It is a dotted underline. For no reason. Or if you have one <laughs> module, why have one of those modules when you can have 16 of them in a 4x4 four four grid, you know, uh-huh, fill up that uh-huh. screen space? What do all of them do? Who knows? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, nothing. The, well, the, that's the other thing, too, is because of all this noise, there's no hierarchy, right, outside of the central focal element that the storytellers want us to look at. There is zero hierarchy. Like, what is a primary module? And even within the module, like, what should I be paying attention to? I don't know. Sometimes there's a number but usually just noise, just shit flying around. But it looks cool. Even then, like when you do see labels, when you do see numbers and stuff, it's completely without context and usually so obscure as to be meaningless, right? So it's like Uh uh, we were looking at the glasses UI from Spider-Man Far From Home. And Uh there are all these labels on stuff where it's like C9.24 and 1S.73. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? It means nothing. They're uh-huh. just filling up space uh-huh. with jargon to like make it look lived in and real. Like, no, there's information back here. It doesn't make any sense to you, but the people who know how to read it, I guess. I don't know. Well, okay. So this leads into one of the the weird contrasts, right? Like there's all this noise and unnecessary elements, but also I feel like one of the really common themes that we saw in our search was a lot of these interfaces are manipulated in future e-ways. For example, obviously Minority Report comes to mind with the, the gloves, but we were looking at the Spider-Man Far From Home with the projection onto Mysterio's helmet, like the inside of the glass orb, and AR glasses or uh, holograms coming off of a table, right? And as a result of all of these future feeling ways of looking at the interface, transparency plays a huge role, right? Oh, like if yeah. you're going to be projecting something in front of your face, you got to be able to see through it. So that's why I feel like you end up with lots of dots and thin lines. And there's usually, d- depending on which interface, but like on all these projected ones, there's nothing solid to ever block your vision. So yeah, nothing has a background. Everything it, is outlined. Even if you're, yeah, like even if you're showing an object, right? Like this is a 3D rendering of a spaceship that's approaching the vehicle or a missile approaching the vehicle. It will always be rendered as a mesh outline, never as a solid object. A wireframe or a cutaway a or yeah, a cross section something. Yeah, but never, yeah. never a solid object. The other thing too is maybe we, we dip into colors here. I feel like the colors are all consistently the same. Uh, I guess that's what consistency means. <laughs> always a dark background. Yeah, always a always black background. Like a, a slight cool tone, maybe some some oranges and reds as a highlight alongside the blues. Yeah. yeah. And I should have mentioned this earlier, but a lot of times they have dimension too, right? It's not just X and Y, there's also a Z axis there. So when you have all of these different layers of similarly colored elements, they're set apart because there's some distance between them and the z-axis. Yeah, I can't overstate. We'll we'll put some links in the show notes. We found some cool galleries of these fictional user interfaces. I can't overstate how absurd they all are. Like it's so funny to you're watching the movie. You're like, okay, that's a that's a computer screen. That's an interface. There's buttons. Like the elements are there. 
But the longer you look at it, there's nothing meaningful or usable about it. Well, and that's the thing is you usually don't look at it for more than a second. It's on screen for like a second. Split second. Yeah, split second. And then you're cut away to something else. And you're not supposed to look at it because as soon as you pause, it all breaks down. (laughs) One one of my favorite examples of this is uh, the Westworld tablets where the tablet was an edge-to-edge screen. There's zero bezel uh, to hold your, your hands. So all of the screenshots from the show, people's hands are just mashing up against UI elements, just smashing it. But remember in Westworld, they manipulate everything by sliding shit around. Like, you want to adjust this robot's agreeableness? Slider to the top. There's no inputs. There's no... I guess they actually did have a keyboard, all touch keyboards, which is a whole other topic. Well, I will say that Westworld, I think, did a really good job of the filling in of information, right? Like, here's here's what I always say. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like, whenever you see a mock and there's a conversation, an email, a chat, those conversations, like, it was probably decided by a designer. Some designer was sitting there and, like, having a conversation with himself in their head as they were, like, trying to fill uh-huh. in the screen. In Westworld, I think they did a really good job of actually filling in all those details. Like there was one thing, or it was like a, a decision tree based on the input, like the character uh-huh. could say this thing or that thing, and it was assembling sentences. And if you paused and looked at it, all of the other possibilities that they could have chosen from all made sense. And it like all the extra information that wasn't important for the scene that you probably wouldn't have seen if you paused was actually there and made sense when you did pause. Well, you know, you've just brought up a really interesting point, which is I wonder, you know, we live in a a streaming world and, you know, we live in an Easter egg world, especially in the Marvel universe where nothing is an accident. And presumably all of these interfaces the the creators now it's an expectation that people will pause screen cap post on reddit dissect and so they can use these as an opportunity to i don't know deepen the lore tell a side story make people feel smart uh like the westworld one right for example i remember when westworld first came out and everyone was losing their minds and people would look at those screenshots and tease apart actual plot details from little bits of text and they're like oh this trait can be manipulated interesting yeah well and i think the hard part of that is probably there is a ton of collaboration and communication happening between the writers and whatever studio they hired to do all that ui stuff because normally my guess is probably the designer of this thing has very very little information to go on and very little access uh-huh. to the people who do have the information that they could give to them to like make these screens better. So they just fill it in with a bunch of shit that's their best guess, you know, and looks okay. But uh-huh. I, I think it's probably pretty rare that there is the even opportunity for that level of Easter eggs and stuff to actually be inserted from the creators because usually that communication link is basically non-existent. Yeah, yeah, strong assumption, but that sounds reasonable to me. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about some of our favorites? Yes. The one that sprung to my mind immediately and I think is probably my favorite and made by my favorite person who does this type of thing, which is Oblivion by G-Monk. And Brian, mm. uh, I think you delved pretty deep into this stuff. What do you think? I mean, we. I think you can't have a conversation like this without talking about G-Monk. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a portfolio. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this and you haven't heard of G-Monk, stop whatever you're doing. And open the show notes, click the link to G-Monk, and have a blast. 
uh, you could spend hours on that website just looking at all the reels. So cool. So cool. And I agree. The Oblivion one is wonderful. It's just gorgeous. I don't know that I have necessarily like a favorite aesthetic. Obviously, the one that stands out as my, in my mind is being foundational. Like, whoa, I remember it blowing my mind was Minority Report. I think that is probably the same for, for lots of people. But, you know, maybe to circle back and go to Selty's original question, Selty asked, I'm curious if you see anything being used in a real world application in the future. And as soon as I thought of like, well, what's actually usable? I thought of her. Remember her? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And that one is totally different from anything that we've just described. In fact, if you go and look at their screen caps of of the interfaces on her, they're basically the opposite of everything we've described. They're warm, they're very calm, lots of red tones, orange tones. But obviously the story of her is about a world in which we interface with computers through audio. And all of the desktops that you see in the movie, I think all of them, there's no mouse or keyboard, it's all voice controlled. Mm-hmm. And that felt like the most reasonable, realistic, likely outcome of the direction we're heading, which is we're not going to have these crazy bullshit ornamental UIs with dark backgrounds and thin monospace text. We're probably just going to talk to our computers. And so, yeah, her her is maybe my favorite as like as far as feasibility and something that we might actually aspire to do someday not the her storyline but that (laughs) the the interface itself yeah the thing that stuck out to me about the ui and her is it's all very scrapbooky or you know it feels very homey and like handmade in a way that the other interfaces that we've been talking about don't they feel very computery and very graphic designy these feel like that's like i said a scrapbook there's an image here uh, in the site I'm looking at that has a screenshot of him getting an incoming call. And it looks like a framed photograph with the name of the person written in cursive. Like it's got this uh-huh. really fancy border on everything, very skeuomorphic. It's just like completely opposite end of what we usually see from like your Tony Stark AI type stuff. Yeah, that the visuals part, I wouldn't say we're heading towards, but the interface part, the the way we actually interact with the thing felt felt more appropriate. Uh, okay, anything else? Yeah, I have one last one that I got to call out. So, oh, okay. So I grew up on Star Trek Next Generation, Brian. I'm not sure if you're ever a Trek kid, but I grew up watching that with Data and Geordi and Captain Picard and Worf, right? And the UI for, for that enterprise was called LCARS, L-C-A-R-S. It's an acronym that stands for, hold on... <laughs> If you knew that off the top of your head, it would have been really impressive. I think it's like library, computer, something. Hold on. Uh, Yeah, here we go. Library, computer, access, slash retrieval system. I got the first two letters right. But it is the most ridiculous UI. But as a kid, I it, it was like touch screens and all these curved things. You know, I, I'm I'm living in like Windows 3.1 at this time. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's kind mm-hmm. of the expectations. Or even like that was like DOS era. Anyways, like this was so cool, but falls into a lot of the same pitfalls that we were talking about earlier of like, it's just a bunch of noise, a bunch of labels that don't mean anything, a bunch of duplication of objects just to fill screen space, a kind of similar color scheme for most of the screen with some pops of complementary colors here and there, a lot of central UI, a lot of wireframe stuff, but they do use a lot of color blocking. All mm-hmm. of the pieces of the UI are like 
filled solid colors. But anyways, I, yeah, I got to mention L cars. If we're talking about fictional UI, I can't not mention L cars. Uh, well, good stuff. Links in the show notes. Hopefully, there's a quite a rabbit hole of stuff to go look at if you are so inclined. And thanks for asking the question, Selty. Uh, Just a reminder: if you have your own topic or or thought that you'd like for us to to dig into in future episodes, go to github.com slash design details slash design details and open an issue. Inbox zero, Brian. We cleared it out. Yeah, back to zero. All right. Let's do cool things. You want to go first? Yeah, let's continue the talking about future interfaces. Uh, Marshall, we watched Dune last night. Yeah. You, your second time, you, uh, I cheated. you jumped the gun. Yeah, I cheated. I, I couldn't wait. wait. I had to yeah. watch it, yeah. Yeah, okay. So you, you watched Dune a second time. I saw it the first time. I'm going to dibs the cool thing because I thought it was awesome. Oh, good. I thought it was so good. I almost messaged you today to see if you were thinking about it still. Yeah, I was still thinking about it. I talked about it in my team has a Monday morning stand up and we talk about things we did over the weekend and stuff. I was like, dude, it's incredible. It's so good. Everyone should see it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I think I want to watch it again. My impression from you was that the second time was just as valuable, if not more valuable to watch. So I, th- I think I might watch again at some point. But what else can I say? Like, I'm not a huge fan. I've read the book a long time ago. I'd forgotten a lot of the details. It was helpful to have you. Uh, you are diving back into the the background, the book and the lore and all this stuff. And so you were able to to answer some questions or point out moments where you're like, ah, that would didn't happen this way in the book, but here's some context. But I don't have much of that. And so I don't feel like you have to be a hardcore fan going into this. Although it fucking drops you in, right? Like yeah. it just goes, you got to catch up, understand the, you know, we had subtitles on, like they capitalize lots of random words and you kind of got to get a feel for what the factions are, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, all this kind of stuff. So many proper nouns, it's crazy. But ultimately, you know, I, I saw lots of critique of this film on Twitter and it's all bullshit. People were like, it's too pretty, it's just pretty. I'm like, yeah, that's great, it's awesome. It's a fucking visual trip. How it's dare really you make fun a to watch. Movie. Ugh. Yeah, how dare you? Anyways, that's my cool thing. I don't know that I have a whole lot to say except it's good and I recommend seeing it. I would probably recommend seeing IMAX, but if you have a decent enough sound and and video system at home, go for it. There are some really dark scenes where you probably want like a good screen. Otherwise it's going to get muddy and fuck up your contrast, but I'm glad you liked it, man. I, you'll watch it again. You think? Yeah, I think I'll see it again. And do we have a a timeline for part two? Uh, 2023, I think. Uh, I guess that's not too bad. Okay. All right. How about you? Cool. Thing. Uh, my cool thing this week is a book that I just finished reading last night. Brian, it's one of those where I kept extending the timer on my, my sleep audible timer thing. Finally finished it at about two o'clock in the morning. It's a book called To Sleep in a Sea of Stars. Not the best title if you have a lisp or if you went to speech therapy like me <laughs> as a child, but To Sleep in a Sea to of Stars. To Sleep in a Sea of Stars. <laughs> yeah. Sally slept in a seashell of stars by the seashore. <laughs> Yeah, and actually not that great of a title because I was like, what the fuck, you know, is it, it feels very flowery, but it's not at all what I expected. I still ended up purchasing it because the cover art was really intriguing. And so I'll let you check it out. But the beginning starts off like a combination between Alien and Venom, if that makes sense. So this xenobiologist on a foreign planet She's doing her job or whatever, notices a weird formation off in the distance, goes to check it out, 
ends up falling into this like cavern and there's this pillar and it's all everything's all covered in dust and everything and she blows the dust off and holy shit this this black stuff comes out of the pillar and gets onto her hand and starts crawling over her body kind of like that scene from the matrix where neo turns into a mirror and she has this like alien life form thing that's a skin suit so kind of like venom but starts out like alien anyways so it's kind of like how do I, what the hell is this thing? What did I get myself into? How do I get out of this situation? What did I set into motion? You know, what, you know, what, what's happening here? Cause we know that there's aliens, but we didn't know about these aliens, blah, blah. So it's already uh-huh, kind of in the uh-huh. future, but the story takes the next step. And there are several points throughout the story where I'm like, Oh, this must be the end. And I look at how much time is left. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm only a third of the way through. I'm like, okay, this must be the end. Uh-huh. Like, oh, I'm only halfway through. So it just keeps going and going and, and it like gets crazier and crazier and crazier in a reasonable way that ends up at a really wild ending that actually feels pretty good. Uh, it's a very long book. It is a 32 hour audio book. So I don't know what that equates to, probably like 800-ish pages in Dead Trees, but wow. 32 hours. However, I will say that the last two hours of the book are appendix and glossary and that type of stuff. There's like an accompanying, <laughs> oh my God. There's an accompanying yeah. PDF with charts and graphs and explanations and backstory, all this extra lore. There's so much world building. Anyways, Got really it. liked it. Got it. Check it out if you're into fun space alien adventure stories. This was a really good one and broke a lot of tropes. I I, I didn't have any idea how it was going to end, and I was surprised. It was good. Awesome. All right. Links in the show notes. In the show notes. Well, this has been episode 418 of the Design Details podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. As always, we're on Twitter at Design Details FM. If you have a topic you want us to dive into in a future episode, that happens on GitHub slash Design Details slash Design Details. Open an issue. Let us know. Hopefully we can cover it in a future app. Otherwise, if you're enjoying the show and want to support us and get access to bonus content every single week via the sidebar, 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 head over to patreon.com slash design details where you can sign up for just a buck a month just a buck a month just a buck a month so thank you everyone who uh, supported the show this week welcome to the fam to everybody else we'll catch you next week bye bye And it like gets crazier and crazier and crazier in a reasonable way that ends up at a really wild ending that actually feels pretty good. She falls in love with an alien, doesn't she? No spoilers. <laughs> so <laughs> Did I just guess it? No. Did I just guess the ending? She learns to accept the alien skin suit that she now wears and uh, rides off into the, the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she rides off into the cosmic sunset. I don't know. How does how does sunset work when everything is stars? Ooh, that's nice. Yeah, the cosmic sunset. Doesn't matter if it works, you know, practically speaking, but it sounds cool. <laughs> sure.